Amen. Aren't you glad you can put your trust in Him? When you can trust no other. When you can't even trust yourself. You can put your trust in Him. Amen. Knowing that He'll never leave you or forsake you. It's such a promise. Amen. Let's talk to the Lord a moment. Maybe you got a need upon your heart and life. and You just want to say, Jesus, don't pass me by today. We just minister to me, to my heart. Somehow, Lord, just come to my pew and speak to me, Lord, in a, in a very special way. Lord Jesus, as we bow before your throne, we know it's a throne we find favor. Grace in our time of need. Lord, we have to confess we're needy. We have to confess that we're weak on our own, Lord, that we cannot do it. But because of you, Lord, you're our strength giver. You're our encourager. You're the one, Lord, that we can draw from today and know you've never failed us. We ask, Lord, that you'll just bless us today in your presence. There are many needs that your people have, situations in their heart and life. Lord, hands that went lifted up to you and said, Jesus, don't pass me by. I pray, God, that you'll meet those needs. Bring healing to the sick. There's so many requests this morning that we read across the desk. And Lord, we just, we just add to it, Lord, our faith as we bring every request to your throne. Asking God for healing for those that are sick. Salvation for those that are lost. Oh God, for the needs to be supplied in your children. Father, there are those here today. They can't go back the same, Lord. Their, their situation is so, so great. And I pray, Lord, that in your presence they'll be changed. Lord, that the Holy Spirit will just do its work. And I'm here, Lord, just as your servant. I can do nothing without you. Lord, they, they, the thoughts that I have and the fragments that I have are just like pages scattered upon the sea. But oh, if the Holy Spirit will just come and gather those thoughts and speak them by His inspiration then lives will be changed in your presence forever. I pray today, Lord, you'll do it for your children. Those across the land, those listening on the internet, those that are, are in, in need everywhere, Lord, you're the, you're the great God that understands humanity because you became one of us and tasted what we have to go through, Lord, so that you could be a perfect mediator. That we could know when we come to you, you understand that you're not just a distant spirit God who could not understand what it means to suffer and to, to bear the weight of sin and transgression. But Lord, you became one of us and took on our sins. But Lord, that's not the end of the story. We have become your righteousness. And Lord, because of your blood, we're perfected. And we know, Lord, we're asking great things today that you'll do the exceeding abundantly above that which we're able to think or ask now as we commit the service to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.
Turn with me to Numbers chapter 33 and verse 53. We're going to read this verse of scripture again. And then also St. John 15, 7. Uh, we're going to visit that scripture again as we just look into the word of God. I want to speak today on the land of his abiding presence. And we have been talking about coming into the land of our inheritance. And in this land is his abiding presence. Amen. We want to speak about that today. Verse 53, Numbers chapter 33. And ye shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land. And dwell therein, for I have given you the land to possess it. And then John 15, 7. John 15, 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. As we look into our subject today, and we, we want to make everyone feel welcome and a part of the service today, we're really happy for you to be here with us, the different ones that have gathered with us. I have special family members that are here, uh, nieces and nephews and so on that are here with us today that we're just really happy to have with us. Pray God's blessings upon you. And um, all of you that has assembled with us, no matter where you're from, Jesus knows you. Amen. And he cares. Amen. We're just really happy to have you and, and uh, to be with us. Uh, we have also Sister Candace's grandparents, Brother Danny and Sister Vicki Ward. So we're happy to have them with us today. And just pray that the Lord will bless them in a mighty way. And you here that's assembled with us, all of the home folks, so glad you're here today. Amen. I'm glad to be here. And I'm glad Jesus is here. We've already felt his presence. We've welcomed him with uh, words of our song uh, as we sang to him and worshiped him. And now we just want to let him speak to us through the word. Now, so as I said, we're going to be speaking on the land of the abiding presence. And this is so important. Because where, where we have arrived in this day and hour is, is not just a time where, um, where that the Spirit of God will depart and leave from us, but it is the promise of a comforter that abides with us forever. Now, Jesus, our Joshua, our, who is Jehovah's Savior, actually his name in the, the Greek is actually Yeshua, or the Hebrew, and um, it is the same word as Yeshua that led the children of Israel into their promised land. And our Yeshua, or Joshua, or Jesus, as said in the Greek, has brought us from the law into this land of the Holy Ghost. And I want to say it's a land flowing of milk and honey. Amen. Now, like Egypt was to Israel, the law was bondage. And it kept men slaves to sin because it had nothing that would deliver men from sin's clutches. It only showed that men were sinners, but it did nothing to deliver them. The sacrifice that they had was that of blood and bulls and goats, and it was weak in that it could not atone for sin. 
Because the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin, neither could it replace sin nature with the nature of, a, of an innocent uh, sacrifice. So it only showed that men were sinners and did nothing to deliver them. Now Jesus is our forerunner would actually become the head of a new race because Adam's race is fallen. And, and of course, in Adam's race, all men die. And so we were subject unto death and to separation from God from our first birth. And Jesus, as our forerunner, though, would be the first to enter in this new land, and he would be the first of the new creation. And upon him, the Spirit would come to abide. Now, if you'll look with me to John chapter 1, verse 32, the Bible said that John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said said unto me, of whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. So we see that Jesus um, had been prophesied actually in the scripture and John um, actually would be quickened by the Holy Ghost to let me know that it, it would be one, the one that would be the Messiah would be the one I, you see the Spirit descend upon. But not just descend, but that he would remain on him. And of course, this would set him apart from all of the Old Testament prophets. Because of the Old Testament prophets, the Spirit of God would, would come upon them and they would prophesy and the Spirit of God would leave. But upon Jesus, the Spirit of God would remain. And notice that he would be a vessel that the Holy Ghost would not just come upon for a season or for a prophecy and then leave, but a man that the Spirit of God would abide in and remain. This is prophesied in the scripture in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1. And there shall come forth a a rod out of the stem of Jesse. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest. And this word means settle down and remain upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. And the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Chapter 42 of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter verse 1 says, Behold my servant whom I uphold mine elect. In my and whom my soul delighteth, I have my, put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. And of course, then we remember the one that Jesus referred to himself in Isaiah 61 and 1. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He has set me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. So Jesus was a man who had the Spirit. But not as the Old Testament prophets had the Spirit. The Old Testament prophets were, and, and men and women, they were certainly anointed and, and even spoke of it being filled with the Spirit. But never had they the Spirit to come down and abide or to dwell in man as it did in Jesus. 
None of the Old Testament prophets, nor, shall I say, the New Testament's disciples had the spirits indwelling before Pentecost. We will look in John chapter 7, 38 for our reference here. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the spirit which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. So we see it would take his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension and his glorification in order for the Holy Ghost to come back and to indwell man. And this would, of course, be the start of a new race. Not another Hebrew race, not of the lineage of Abraham's natural seed, but the lineage of Abraham's faith seed. And this would be a new race that would not be just human, but they would be born again. And they would be born of the God race. Now, even as John, the greatest prophet of all, said, I can only baptize you with water. But there is one that is coming after me. He's got a greater baptism than I do. And when he comes, he is going to be the Holy Ghost baptizer. And, and he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost. In other words, he will share with you his own life. Amen. That the life of this Lamb of God would be different from the other lambs that would represent him. That would substitute for man's sin until he came. But he would be different. And that is, he would share his own life. That the life and the nature of the sacrifice would actually come and dwell in the worshiper. Now, in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, John answered saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh. The latchet of whose shoe I am not worthy to unloose. And he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So I want you to notice this one would come, would baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. We'll talk about that a little moment, but in a moment. But let's also go to Jesus' words in John, or Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So how different this anointing would be from the anointing on the Old Testament believer. Their anointing came and went. But this anointing would abide with you forever. Amen. It would be more than just a a presence come down upon you and and you uh, rejoice in it. You prophesy in it. You heal the sick in it. And then it leaves you. And you fall back into temptation. But this would be one that would abide with you. He would actually dwell in you. And you and him would be one. Hallelujah. And you would become the manifestation of the Father's will. 
Now in John chapter 14 verse 16, it says, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. Now Jesus was a comforter. You can imagine as he went along, you know, he was certainly Mary and Martha's comforter when he come there to the tomb of Lazarus. He was a comforter for the widow at name. He, he was a, he was a comforter of the many who were sick and healed. He was a comforter to the disciples who we'll talk about here in a moment where, where that they called for demons to come out of a young boy and couldn't cast them out. He was definitely a comforter. But he said, I'm going to send you another comforter that he may abide with you until I'm tempted. He will abide with you how long? Forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not and it neither knoweth him but you know him for he dwelleth with you. Amen. Hallelujah. And shall be in you. So right now he's dwelling with you my disciples but In that day, he will be in you. And there's going to be a vast difference between one who is dwelling with you and somebody dwelling in you. Amen. Because the disciples could go away without Jesus. And they could get on a boat without Jesus. And they could face storms without Jesus. Hallelujah. But when you get this comforter, he's there in every storm. He's there in every situation. He never leaves you no matter what happens, what trial you go through. There's a tie post on the inside of you that holds you in the hour of temptation. First John chapter 2 verse 27. He explains with the anointing which you have received abideth in you. And you need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie. And even as it been taught you, ye shall abide in him. So now we see this anointing abideth in you. And he says, he will be the inside teacher. Now this doesn't replace or do away with the necessity of uh, the fivefold ministry of apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors. But rather, you know, he's there when the pastor isn't there. Amen. He's there when the, when the teacher isn't there that has taught you the concepts of the gospel. He is there, the inside teacher who is showing you the way, who is directing your path. Who is showing you where to place your feet. The inside teacher. He'll convince you of sin. Now this this Holy Ghost. That was promised it would come. It would not leave them. No. No, Not in the hour of temptation. It would keep them. It abides. For the Holy Ghost is, is not something really that you keep. Amen. It keeps you. A lot of times we say, Lord, you know, I I, I can just barely hold on. Well, really, you know, if it's him, it ain't you holding on anymore anyhow. Amen. It ain't you got a hold of him. It's got him got a hold of you. And there's a whole lot of difference between that and temptation. Because you are weak. Your flesh is weak. 
Your willpower is weak. Amen. But there is an inside dwelling of the Holy Ghost that will keep you in your hour of temptation. Now, let's just see what happened to man. As we explain, as we go to this, because as I said, this is a land that's certainly flowing with milk and honey. It's rich. It's one that mankind had never experienced before. It's a land of the Holy Ghost, a land of the new creation. It is a land of his abiding presence. It's the land where only God men dwell. Hallelujah. It's the land of the Spirit. And nobody knows what it is except those who have been there. It's kind of like the boy with the apple. You know, was standing there listening to an atheist going back and forth on, and arguing with others about whether there was a God. And finally, the little boy got enough of it and he just sat there chewing on an apple. And he said, hey man, said, tell me, can this apple, is this apple sweet or sour? And he said, boy, how do I know you're the one eating it? He said, that's what I thought. Amen. People want to tell you what the Holy Ghost is. They want to tell you what it can or can't do or whether it's sweet or sour. They don't know. They ain't never been there. But if you abide in the land, you know the sweetness of it. You know the power of it. You have the assurance of it. You know that you know you that you know. The Bible said in that day, you shall know that I'm in the Father, the Father and me and I in you. You're not imagining that you're there. You're there. But let's go back in for a moment to Genesis and our thinking. And let's go back to see what happened to man. Adam was made first a spirit being. This is why the confusion seems to be with Genesis chapter 1 and 2. is because in Genesis 1, Adam is created of God. In Genesis 2, his body is formed. So one is a creation, one is a formation. And so God, God, first of all, God is a spirit. And he made man in the image of God. So he was first spirit man. We're talking about the, the first Adam. And, and God made man in his spirit. He made him in his image. But in his body, as, as you know, he had attributes of the earth. And, and there was, you know, he had hair like a mammal. He, he, he had different other, other um, identities that identified him with the earth. His see, taste, smell, feel, and hear all contacted the earthly realm. But originally, he, he, was, he was spirit man. And then God would place that spirit that he had created in a body that he had formed. And now there would be a man that could till the soil. Amen. Because he was not going to do it as spirit. He was going to do it as man. So you see, within him, Adam was actually different from the rest of God's creation. Because here Adam had a spirit made by God. And, and, this, and it had within him the ability to be filled 
with God's spirit. Now, that's, and of course, that what makes him different between man and animal is that man that God made had a soul. And that soul is the choice chamber. It accepts or rejects the spirit. Now, an animal doesn't do that. It has no soul. It makes no choice. But a man is made in God's image because God didn't want him just to be a robot. God wanted him to be able to to make a choice between life and death. As to what nature would infill him. So now as we look at it, Adam was made to a place to be filled. His his heart was to be surrendered to God so God could dwell in him. But before he made that surrender, Adam surrendered his soul and therefore the soul of every one of his offspring to be filled with and ruled by sin nature. And so yet every one of us you know, uh, every one of us as, Adam, as Adam's race, we still have the ability of self-will. That we can surrender our soul to God and or we can surrender it to sin nature. You see, in other words, sin nature can be overthrown. And we can become the temple or the dwelling place of the living God. So thus the Bible said, by one man's obedience, speaking of Jesus... That every one of his offsprings are to be filled with divine nature. And all because of Adam's disobedience, every man of his, offspring of his, is born with sin nature. For it says in Romans 5.17, For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So by one man's offense, we were all born in sin. But by one man's obedience, hallelujah, by one man's obedience, we reign in righteousness. In one man's disobedience, we are obedient to sin. We are slaves of sin. But in one man's obedience, we are now free from sin. Amen. We're no longer slaves. Oh, I wish sometimes the church could get rid of its slave mentality. And realize I'm not a slave to sin. Amen. It has no control over me. Amen. I don't belong to the devil. Amen. I was God's before the foundation of the world. My choice didn't make me God's. His choice made me His. He knew who I was before the world ever began. And He foreordained my coming. Hallelujah. And though I was born in sin, He said, I've got a remedy for it. I've got another birth for your first birth that'll cancel out all your call. The Bible said in Colossians 1.13 that he had delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom or the rule of his dear son. Let's put the devil on notice. We don't belong to him. This kingdom we're in 
Satan has no right to. Amen. This places the old, every man and woman back again like Adam and Eve were before the two trees in Eden. One a tree of life, one a tree of death. And we can choose between life or death. Now, in your first birth, you did not choose to be born with sin nature. You were born with sin having rule over you because Adam sold his offspring and himself, the whole human race, to Satan. David would say, thus in sin did my mother conceive me. And I was shapen in iniquity. I was brought in the world speaking lies. That's a combination of about three psalms, but it's all the same. Amen. That this is what happened. Man was born in a depraved, sinful condition. This is why the Bible would say, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But however, every man at some point is brought before the tree of life in some manner. And that tree of life, of course, is Jesus Christ. And, and they choose between remaining under sin's rule or whether to surrender their soul to God. Now, I understand predestination. And I'm not, I'm not arguing the, the thought of predestination and God's choice over your choice. I'm saying is God, God even in his foreknowledge, knew your choice. Amen. Amen. And you choose because you were his. That's why you choose. That's why you choose life. Because you were his. There's something in you that calls back out. To almighty God. Amen. But notice again. You you stand there. Every man and woman. They either receive or turn down. Eternal life. In fact the matter is. Brother Branham would say. That every sinner fights his way to hell. Amen. And the Bible said, it's not his will that any should perish. Right? He don't want anybody lost. He don't want, he don't want anybody lost. And I'll just, uh, just settle a question for you right now. There won't be one of his children in hell. Hell was not created for his children. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. Amen. But then, you know, let me just share a couple of little quotations as we go along. When you come to total obedience, then you can have possession. But until you totally obey, you've got to totally or completely surrender your own thoughts, your own will, your own mind, and let the mind of Christ Operate in you. Again. He would say when you fully surrender. He'll come in fully. But until you surrender. He can't come in fully. Surrender. Surrender your thoughts. Surrender your thinking. Surrender your life. Surrender your all. Surrender your prestige. Surrender everything to him now. And he'll come in and fill you with the Holy Ghost. And I'll tell you the problem every time when people lack the Holy Spirit in their life after asking God for it is comes right back to this one thing of full surrender. The lack thereof. In the Old Testament, 
the atonement was limited because it was only the blood of, the, of an animal. And the intimacy and the nature of the animal sacrificed could not enter into the worshiper. Why? Because it had no soul. Amen. But under this atonement of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, here we come back to this, by baptism of fire, come on, by baptism of fire eradicates sin nature and replaces that old nature with the very life and the nature of God, sealing you with God and sealing Satan out. Now, that's why if you will fully surrender to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to sanctify you fully and be sealed by His Spirit, you will never fall. Now, Brother Bradham would use the virtues in, in 2 Peter 1 to show that a person who has believed on the Lord and started with the foundation of faith, that he must add these virtues through sanctification and then be kept off with divine love of God, which is the Holy Ghost. And Peter concludes by saying, if you lack these virtues, you are blind and you forgot what the blood was to do for you. But if you allow the Holy, the Holy Spirit to sanctify and cleanse out the old sin nature and then fill you, then you will never fall. Amen. How many wants to be in that place? That no matter what storm of life, no matter what kind of gossip of unbelief comes by, no matter what persuasion or somebody with a better argument, amen, that nothing ever can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 9, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sin. Wherefore, the rather brother give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. What a state to be in. What a place of security. Amen. What a place to be sealed away to your destination. Amen. Now, before Jesus came, men had the Holy Spirit as their anointing. Some were anointed with it. Actually, it says, says they were filled with the Spirit. And yet, as filled as they were, till they would prophesy and, and foretell and see visions and, and even work miracles, they were not sealed. The Holy Spirit would come upon them and then would leave. And... And for example, for this, just as you can be baptized and fully immersed in water and not one drop of water get into your body, so can a person be baptized with the Holy Ghost upon their spirit and they jump and they shout and dance and speak in tongues and prophesy and work miracles and have healing and signs and wonders and still have sin nature within their soul. And on the other hand, you might be a sealed son or daughter of God and never perform a miracle. And that doesn't mean you're not sealed. For those things are among believers. Amen. Now, in the Old Testament, 
And even in the new, God will give people certain gifts. And these gifts are given without repentance. In other words, many, many times that men and women are born with them and, and they haven't even repented. And so they're without repentance and these gifts then, you know, can come under the anointing and God can use them. In the Old Testament, men would be gifted by, the, by God to fight. I mean, would be mighty warriors that the Spirit of the Lord would move upon them. And they would defeat the enemies of Zion and subdue them because of the Spirit and the anointing of God upon them. And they would yield that, that gift to God and use that gift to deliver God's people. And there were, there's gifted men like Moses or Samson or Saul and David that we can use as examples where the Spirit of the Lord would come on them. And yet in the hour of temptation, they would yield to temptation and sin. And God would withdraw His presence from them. Because they only had one birth under the Old Testament. And there was no way they could ever be born out of sin's dominion. So no matter how they were born a seed of Abraham and no matter how anointed they become, that they still were under sin's dominion. When Moses was tempted to show off and, ex- and, and, and exalt himself, the spirit lifted and the tempter won. Amen. This very thing would keep him out of the promised land. When Balaam was tempted with money and position, the spirit left and the tempter won. When Samson was tempted with pretty Philistine women, the tempter won and the spirit departed. Samson was a gifted man. He had a super strength that didn't come from his human abilities. Much different what we visualize, some big atlas with muscles and tall and strong and, and, and all of this. He was a little wimp. Maybe a little sissy's boy with seven locks representing his covenant with God. But he was gifted. And when he was gifted, though he was just a little scrawny boy, uh, you know, he was gifted so that he could yield himself to God and the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him and empower him so much that when he met a lion, the Bible said the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And he took that lion and he ripped him apart as he would a little, little goat kid. Samson would give his strength to God. But he would never give God his heart. In his heart was adultery and fornication. In his heart was compromise. In his heart was a desire to go down to the the Philistine daughters and and compromise God's word. And, And he would get in a dilemma. And the spirit of the Lord would come upon Samson. And he would surrender his faith in his gift. And his faith was the deposit was in the deposit of his gift that God had placed within him and he would perform supernatural acts and he would have tremendous victories. You know, people do this. 
You see them in, even today because many of them never come into the new land. They're still outside. I can hear Brother Branham uh, preaching. He said, oh God, that my church would come over into this land of the Holy Ghost. It was his desire. But some people will give their, their ability to God, their ability like of singing. They will give God that ability. They're gifted. They're anointed to sing. Maybe, maybe it comes down their family line, their daddy, their mother, somebody. Or maybe, you know, it's like some of the horses that race. There ain't nobody in their pedigree that was any good. And he's a fluke. And sometimes in genetics, it skips generations. As you know, if there's any singing in my family, I didn't get it. Julia's doing my singing for me. But yet, you see, these are gifted and, and anointed to sing and, and, and some kind of sinful habits. Maybe just yesterday they were watching pornography or even fornicating with their boyfriend or girlfriend and, and they feel terrible about it. They feel guilty about it and, and, and yet they're shamed and when they get up to sing in church, you know... All they know is when they get up to sing, people are so blessed. And people come to them after the service and say, you know, I was so blessed by your ministry of singing. And I was going through such a terrible trial and a hard time. And God used me to help, used you to help me. And it so blessed me. You know what that does? It encourages them to keep on going the way they are. You know, I felt that anointing when I must be all right. You know, I, I sung the songs of Zion and I, well, even Brother Jim got up and shouted. And yet, living in sin. A person can be so anointed to preach and yet be living in adultery. While he's preaching. Just last night was with a prostitute and yet up to preach and get so anointed by the Spirit that others get delivered and gasp. Even demons are cast out or a miracle is performed. And this is why when Caiaphas was in the office of the high priest, that while he was condemning Jesus to death, and demanded he be crucified. He prophesies by the Spirit. Amen. This is, this is in John 11 verse 51. And you can see it. This spake not even of himself but as high priest that year. He prophesied. Can you imagine? Here he's in the throes and the very judgment. And he's condemning Jesus Christ. And sending him to a cross to be crucified. And he prophesies under the Spirit. This is why Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And you wonder what that will is. I'll tell you, it is repent every one of you. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the Father's will. 
Amen. So it's not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom. But those who comes by repentance, surrender, give it up, sin nature, die out, crucify the old man, and raise it again anew in Christ. Many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils in thy name, have done many wonderful works. And then I will confess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. And yet, they had prophesied. Yet, they had cast out devils. Yet, they had done wonderful works. And yet, had never come to that obedience. Now, why? Because although anointed, they were never surrendered to the will of the Father. To be sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Let's look at Balaam just a moment in Numbers 24 two. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and he saw Israel abiding in his tents according to their tribes. And the Spirit of God came upon him. Now then, he will prophesy and he will actually prophesy something that will come to pass. That will, that will be a prophecy of the Messiah. A horn that will raise up out of Jesse. You know, that will raise up out of Israel, or Jacob rather. And here, as he raises up, he prophesying of the Messiah to come by the Spirit. But you see, this is what made Balaam a false prophet. Because although he surrendered his gift to God to prophesy accurately, he loved the wages of unrighteousness and used the error of his doctrine to cause Israel to fall. By saying we're all one. And the Israelite sons took the daughters of Moab and committed whoredom. And Balaam worked it around to get God to smite them. So he was able to do what he was hired to do. When he could not get God to curse them, he made them fall by false doctrine. The Bible calls it the doctrine of Balaam. And the doctrine of Balaam was, we're all one. Amen. And and so, you know, what what he did, that he would, he would, he, he actually looked there and he said, hey, we're all one. You know, this is Lot's children. This is Abraham's children. We're all one. You know, get in there and, and, and worship together, knowing that in their worship, they mix fornication. And now they would be taking in the strange daughters of Lot who were under a curse. And in this, God would have to curse them. Can you imagine that? So Balaam worked it around through his doctrine to get them cursed. Yet he could be anointed by the Spirit and prophesy. Don't you understand this is why there's a great deception in the last day, Matthew 24, 24, where that there will arise false prophets who are anointed with a genuine anointing. And bring a deceiving spirit. Now, 
think about it. Truly, it would come and it would leave them. This Holy Spirit would come, it would leave them. For they could not be sealed. It would not abide with them forever. Another notable example is that of Saul, who was anointed because of his rebellious spirit and his disobedience. The spirit left him, and instead, an evil spirit came upon him. You see, Saul was a king that the Spirit of God came upon him prophesied. If you know anything about the Old Testament, the Bible said that Saul prophesied with the prophets. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And yet because of his rebellious disobedience, the Spirit of the Lord would depart from Saul and an evil spirit would trouble him. In 1 Samuel 16... Verse 14, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. In other words, permitted by God, God permitted an evil spirit to trouble him. And they would call for a man who was cunning with a harp. And it was David. And he played for Saul during the time of his insanity. And that evil spirit would lift from him for a while. And he'd be okay for a little bit and go out and fight the Lord's battles and come under such an anointing. Amen. But, but I, I want you to know that then because of disobedience, where God would establish his kingdom forever to be on the throne of Israel. But because of his disobedience, God rejected him. Amen. Now, David was a man also who the Spirit of the Lord came upon. We look upon David very favorably because he was a man after God's own heart. David was a man who, unlike Saul, he was always willing to, for, to repent. Amen. The Bible said in 1 Samuel 16, 13, Samuel took a horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brother. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And, and then he would, David would come, oh my, he would become the anointed songwriter. And he would sing and, and worship and come under such a, that we sing and read his psalms to this day. And they're absolutely anointed words of God. Amen. He would get so under the anointing that he would actually even speak in the first person of Christ. And he would prophesy as though he were Christ himself. And say, my bones, my bones, they stare at me. You know, they they have wounded my hands and my feet. All the other different prophecies. You know know what they are laying in the scripture. They gamble over my garments. Oh, no, no, no. He would prophesy. In the very first person of Christ. (coughs) David would say at his closing days. In 2 Samuel 23, 2. The spirit of the Lord spake by me. And his word was in my tongue. And we can attest to that today. Right? Amen. The spirit of the Lord spake by him. And his words was in my tongue. And David would get under the Spirit, like I said, and, and prophesy in the Spirit 
even accurately describe the scenes of Calvary and what Jesus would go through. You could hear him though groaning when he sinned with Bathsheba and did that awful thing and killed her husband. In the Psalms, he's repenting. In Psalms 51.10, he would say, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. And cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Because he knew, he knew that when the anointing left Saul, that he was haunted by a demon. And he didn't want to be in that condition. So he cried out, oh, don't take the Spirit from me. David was a predestinated seed. He was a prophet. As a seed of God, Brother Branham would say in spoken words, original seed, he lacked the rain or the moisture of the Spirit to quicken the seed. But yet, it always was crying out, I want to do right. I want to live right. I want to overcome. Oh, created me a clean heart. I can't live right. There was nothing under the blood of bulls and goats that could give him a new nature. He was the same old boy after the Spirit left him as he was when the Spirit came down. He would come to the anointing and accurately prophesy. As I said, get under the Spirit. My bones, they stared me. They pierced my hands, my feet. They pierced my side. They were, he would get so under inspiration. He'd actually prophesy exactly as what Jesus Christ, the Son of David, would do. But he had nothing to hold him in the hour of temptation. It would, and I wanted to say today, it'd be awesome, wouldn't it? To have the Spirit of God to come in such a manner where you prophesy and your words are actually even written in the Bible. And your words become the Holy Scripture. And your words are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But how much greater is it that deity comes on the inside of your soul and gives you overcoming power? How much greater is that? David knew, you know, or he did everything he knew to do. As an Israelite, he wore fringes with a ribbon of blue all over his garments. And he would look upon those and remember all of the commandments of the Lord. And do them and, and uh, you know, and they, he was commanded to do this. This is what all Israelites dressed like. Every one of them would have this ribbon of blue that was be waved or, or woven through the fringes of their garments. So that as, he, as, as God said that all of the commands of, of the Lord that you'll remember and do them. And that you seek not after your own heart and your own eyes after which you use to go a whoring. So he says, you know, look on this. Remember this. I want to remind you, it's in your garment. It's a a lace of a blue ribbon all the way through to remind you. There were things that that they bound uh, as a sign upon their hands. Even the Jews today will wrap a cord around their hands. And they, and they, they have something between the frontlets of their eyes. And they, they wore, wrote the commandments upon the posts of their house and upon the doors. 
And I can imagine David would make vows and he made his promises. And he would say, thy word have I hid in my heart. So I'll not sin against thee. Only to go right around them in the hour of temptation. This is the danger of psychology. You see, psychology is not a nature change. It is a learned behavior. We train our behavior to do certain, certain things that are now acceptable in society. Using the methods of psychology, men makes promises that they intend to keep. And mom, I'm going to be true to my wife this time. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I've heard them in testimony meetings before, in men's meetings, where men will get up and say, well, here's how I overcame pornography. I overcame it because of what it was the harm it was doing to my family, and I thought about the hurt. I thought about the shame. I thought about the bad feelings that it, that it, that it, that it gave me when I, when I viewed this pornography. And so now when I think about pornography, I, I, I make myself think about all the bad things that happens. The hurt that it brought on my family and my marriage and uh, the shame that it brought upon my church and, and everything else and where it led me to. But I want you to understand that's not overcoming. That's psychology. In the hour of your temptation, you forget all about that. And you go do it anyway. In David's hour of temptation, he would look from his rooftop over at his neighbor's house. His neighbor was away fighting Israel's battles. And as a king, they had forbid him to come into battle because in a battle, he'd almost lost his life. And said, you're too valuable to go in battle anymore. You stay at home. We'll lead the battle. And there, Uriah was, uh, was gone away in battle. And in a moment, uh, as David stood up on his rooftop looking over the city, he sees a woman in her private chambers there who is bathing. And as he looks upon her, he looked past his ribbon of blue. He looked past the bands on his arms. He looked past the frontlets in his eyes. He looked past the scriptures on his doorpost. And he sent for Bathsheba. Because in his hour, there was nothing to hold him. Well, I've memorized the scripture, Brother Tim. I've dwelled on the promises and all of those are good. But there must be an indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life. You see, Moses, as much as he may have desired and wanted the Spirit as possession, he also was only anointed. He would get so anointed by the Spirit and use his great gift of faith to exercise dominion over the devil in Egypt and even use the power of creation standing under the blood of bulls and goats use the power of creation 
to create flies. Somebody with me? Amen. Oh my. He would bring up frogs. Turn islands into blood. Call for flies. Take his rod and open the Red Sea. Take that same rod there or, or, and, and strike the, the rock and make water come from it. Yet one day in a temper fit. You know, I got an idea that that wasn't his first temper fit. <laughs> But during a temper fit, he exalted himself. When God tells him explicitly what to do, go speak to the rock. Now remember, it was a type. Because the rock was only to be smitten once. Representing Christ. But you see, Moses now would actually, he would get so, get so in, in anger at the people. And he'd say, you rebels. Must I fetch water out of this rock? And he struck the rock with his rod. And nothing happened. And he strikes again. And nothing happens. And he strikes and water comes and God honors it. But he says, okay, Moses, you showed yourself down there. You exalted yourself over my word. You took and showed power that you were not to display. You used your gift in the wrong way to exalt yourself and make yourself seem important. And I'll tell you what, you're not leading my people into the promised land. That's bad, ain't it? But it's no different for the New Testament believers until after Pentecost. Before Calvary and the coming of the Spirit, you can look at the power of the Holy Ghost on the disciples. They healed the sick. They cast out devils. Amen. They cast it out by the power of God. We know that. Jesus said if Satan cast out Satan, his kingdom's divided. Amen. They did it by the power of God during this time. Peter received a revelation direct from God. Yet didn't have the Holy Ghost because it wasn't yet given. It could not be given until the sacrifice died and the life of the sacrifice came back on the day of Pentecost. Amen. You see, it could not come in tabernacle man. And there's a reason for this. Because God and Satan cannot share the same throne in a heart. Are you with me? Amen. He will not sit on a throne with Satan ruling also. So the old king sin nature has to die. See, this is what Jesus was talking about. Another kingdom coming. Thy kingdom come where your will will be done. Where? In our flesh. Just like the word settled in heaven. Oh, I know, I know, you know, uh, denominational theory don't want to take you there because they deny the power thereof. But I'm trying to tell you, friends, there is a power in the Holy Ghost. Where God is creating a God race. 
Amen. Oh, hallelujah. And they're not there because they're forced into it. They were there because they were wooed by love. And because of out of love of the Holy Ghost inside them, they stay in there. You see, it must be one or the other. You can't go to heaven with sin nature. You got to die. You got to die out to sin. You got to become a new creation. And, and that is the only way by the power of the Holy Ghost. Otherwise, you're going to be a failure. And you will find yourself at the time of rapture a failure. Now, Judas believed on Jesus for a time. Oh, yeah. Judas was sanctified. Hello? Judas was given authority to cast out devils. Judas healed the sick under the power of the Holy Ghost. He preached under the anointing. That wasn't just him. The rest of the disciples did too. Peter did also. But both were unconverted. Judas betrayed the Lord. And I'm just going to say, so will you. So will you. You will betray him at some point without the Holy Ghost. Because everyone, not just some of us, everyone must go to Pentecost for the Spirit's seal. Because that's where Judas failed. He stopped short in the upper room. You see, before Judas got the upper room, before Pentecost, he showed his colors. And that's what is happening in this day. That's why Judas's are showing up now. They're showing their colors. They never made it to the upper room. They may have been justified or sanctified and lived a good holy life and did fine for a time. But at some point, they're going to betray him. It's just there. It's, it's, it's unavoidable unless you get to the upper room. Amen. Let me explain it this way. Sanctification can cause the unclean spirit to go out of a person only to return if that house isn't filled with the Holy Ghost. And when he comes back, oftentimes he comes back with seven others worse than his pharaoh, than, than, than himself, seven other devils. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. This was Judas. In the very sacred moment, in the very sacred moment of Jesus handing him the bread, representing his body. Think of it. He gets down to the last supper. He goes right down to the last supper. The great holy gathering of the Passover with Jesus. Sitting at his table. Partaking one with the other. And in the sacred moment of Jesus handing him the bread representing his body. Dipped in wine representing his blood. Satan enters into him. He waits to that moment and enters in. Oh, Judas, you came so close. Peter's declaration was that Jesus was the Christ, but that didn't bring him salvation. That, that, was, 
that was not a, even a confession that Jesus had died for sin, become a substitute. He knew nothing of that. Jesus had not died. He was, he was not converted. He was still a Christ-denying, cursing pe- preacher until Pentecost. Yet Peter had a, a revelation from God that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus said, my father revealed this to you. You didn't, get, you didn't learn this from man, flesh and blood. My father gave you this revelation. You, the Spirit of God came down and imparted a knowledge of revelation to Peter. That he was the Christ. That Jesus was the Christ. The anointed Messiah. In fact, as I said, he didn't have, he didn't have the knowledge. Is anybody, everybody with me? He didn't have the knowledge even of why Jesus had come. He knew nothing of his substitutionary death. He knew nothing of the power of the blood. He knew nothing of the substitutionary death on the cross. He knew nothing of Jesus as a high priest. He don't even see his purpose. He just knows he's the Messiah. The Christ. The son of the living God. And yet, when Jesus tried to tell him how that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and be, and, and be killed and raised again on the third day, Peter begins to rebuke him. And Jesus said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan! Thou art an offense for, to me, for thou savored not the things that be of God, but those things that be of men. So can you imagine here under the anointing? He says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Under a different anointing. Which Jesus said was Satan speaking. He rebukes Jesus for the very reason he has come. How is it a man could get a revelation that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of the living God, and yet also be used of the devil to speak against the plan of God? Yet Peter worked miracles. Peter had bold confessions. He had revelations that could only come from God and then would be used of the devil to speak against the will and the purpose of God. Many of these, but let's take Martha for a moment. Martha's a good woman. She had a declaration at the tomb of Lazarus. And as powerful as it was, confessing that Jesus was the Messiah, it didn't save her. The nature of her lamb had not come into her. She declared, yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which had come into the world. But she knew nothing of his purpose, his plan, and his redemption. The woman at the well who said, come and see a man, didn't bring her full and complete salvation, though she recognized him to be the Messiah. Redemption was not complete until Jesus died on the cross and and paid for sin's price and rose from the dead and ascended on high and took the role of high priest. 
And just as Aaron, the high priest, took the blood of the atonement into the presence of God in the holiest of holies, so Jesus would take his own blood into the heavens of heavens where God dwells. Is anybody with me? Amen. And then he sent back the nature and life of the blood of on 120 men and women in the upper room at Pentecost and they were sealed with the life of Jesus, their sacrifice. Hallelujah. Now that is true salvation. The others are anointings. But you want to be possessed where he abides with you forever. Before this, the disciples cast out devils. They did miracles using the authority of Jesus. This is what Brother Branham would say in perfect faith. He said at first the disciples didn't have this perfect faith. They didn't have it because they had Christ walking with them. You see, he was, he was, uh, he was their comforter. They knew him there. Oh my, everything was under control. You see, they didn't have it because they had Christ walking with them. So then afterwards, Christ was in them. So you see, it's hard then to have this perfect faith without the Holy Spirit. It has to bring it, and it does. Now you say the disciples didn't have perfect faith. No, they had an epileptic child there, and they were trying to cast this devil out of him, and they couldn't do it until Jesus came. And Brother Branham explains that. He said, you see, the comforter was dwelling with them. But not in them. So there they were away from Jesus. And there was something. There was something that. Their faith dropped. Their confidence even in their calling. Their commission dropped. But because when Jesus came. He took authority over that thing. And said thou evil spirit come out of the man. Amen. Amen. But it wasn't possible, you see, for them to have the Holy Spirit abiding with them at all times. Because he came and went. Let's go to this for a moment. Let's look at an Old Testament prophecy that speaks of the abiding presence. Ezekiel 36, 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness from your idols will, will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you. That's a new desire. I want to do right. A new spirit. You know, a, a, a new consciousness of what's right and wrong. I will put in you and I will take the stony heart out of your flesh. And I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you. And look now. And he will cause you to do what you couldn't have done on your own. He will cause you to walk in my statutes. And you shall keep my judgments and do them. And you shall dwell in this land of the Holy Ghost that I have given your fathers. And ye shall be my people and I will be your God. Hallelujah. Don't you want to be his people this morning? Don't you want him to be your God? Amen. Oh, I'll put my spirit in you. Amen. Joel chapter 2 verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterwards. That I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. 
and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaid, and those days will I pour out my spirit. Oh, what a promise that is. In this land, there's a pouring out of the spirit. Amen. In this land, the spirit, the Holy Ghost is not just in Jesus, it's in you. Amen. Deity does not just dwell in heaven. Deity dwells in you. In this land, he pours into empty vessels who have cleaned themselves out by dying to sin. Amen. And he fills them with his presence. Oh, what a promise. Amen. But before the Holy Ghost came, men and women could be indwelled with the abide. You know, they, they could not being dwelled by the abiding presence and spirit of God. But you see, there would have to come someone. Because Abraham couldn't impart this abiding presence. Samson couldn't impart his anointing to stay with you. None of them could give you that. Samson couldn't pass it on to his offspring. Are you with me? Amen. But there would have to come another one from whom this new race would be born. And he would be called the firstborn of many brethren. Hallelujah. And his design was to bring many sons unto glory. I want you to know it wasn't just Jesus that would have the abiding presence, but he designed it that he would have sons, he would have daughters, that in his wounding for our transgression and his bruising for our iniquity, amen, and him taking the weapons for our peace, amen, and God bruising him. That in his bruising, he would see his seed. Hallelujah. Through his death, through his atonement, that he would see his seed. There would be a seed. Hallelujah. What am I trying to tell you? There's not to be just one Jesus. But what they saw, what the devil saw that morning in the upper room about the third hour of the day. And here come men and women drunk and empowered by a spirit that he ain't never seen an anointing like this. Because this anointing doesn't come and it doesn't go. It changes their life. It changes their talking. It changes their nature. And the devil said, I have never seen men and women born of sexual birth like that. They look like the virgin born. How could this be? You see, before Pentecost, as we've been laboring, the spirit was not yet given. Because there was an atonement needed to cleanse man. To clean out the fire baptism. To burn out sin nature. And it was not yet made. It, couldn't, it was not yet released back to the church. In John seven thirty eight, He said, he that believeth on me as the scripture has said. 
out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living waters. This he spake of the Spirit which they that believe should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not glorified. So Jesus is saying there's coming forth men and women who when their heart is turned from unbelief to faith. Then out of their innermost beings there will be rivers. Rivers of the Spirit gushing out. Hallelujah. Gushing forth with life. Amen. And and it would not be an external anointing. Somebody help me preach now. It would not be an external anointing, but the Spirit indwelling out of their innermost being would flow. Hallelujah. It would flow. I want you to understand. It flows. It's a river. It's a river. And there ain't enough of hell that can stop it. Do you hear me preach this morning? There ain't enough that the devil can do to stop it. It flows. It flows. It flows. Right out to your body. Right out to your life. Bringing you subjected to the Holy Spirit of promise. Hallelujah. Amen. So that out of their innermost being would flow love and joy and peace and long-suffering, goodness and faith. But, but this would only come from those whose flesh and its affection and lust are crucified and sin nature dead. How could this be? How could it be that Adam, as a spirit man, could not fall until he became flesh? He didn't fall in the spirit. He fell when he became flesh. And then because of his flesh, he sinned, transgressing God's commandments. And so God, in his condescending, you know, and and Adam coming from, from there, the upper realms of the heavens, down to the earth, as spirit man to earth and coming to the flesh... God would do the same thing for redemption purposes. God would condescend from the, from the heavens of heaven where it would be spirit. And as spirit, he could not suffer. And as spirit, he could not die. As suffer, he could not suffer pain. He could not be tempted. But God would now come and move from that into theophany, which we call word. And through the word, he would create all things. Are you with me? Amen. And then from the opening and spirit word, he would come in the flesh. Hallelujah. God condescending now into a form that can be tempted, can be tried. Amen. Can experience the wrong thoughts. Come on. Amen. Can be tempted by the devil's lies and win. And win. And win. This is the captain of our salvation. Hallelujah. Now God had in in himself attributes of Savior, Healer, Redeemer. But he couldn't make man fall. But he could put man in flesh knowing that he would fall. And set before him, as I said, God doesn't want us to make us robots. Well, we couldn't be robots if we were in his image. 
Amen. He didn't want just angels to say, holy, holy, holy. He wanted men and women who would surrender their own self and come back to Him and love Him. God, as we looked, as we looked in the beginning, Adam walked by the Spirit. He ruled by the Spirit. He moved trees by the Spirit. But in flesh form, He, he had, He had the, the free moral agency or the free will. He could choose death. And Eve, beguiled by the serpent, who promised, you won't surely die. She exalted her fleshly desires over God's words. And Adam, in that moment, he, he, he partook of the same. Not being deceived, the Bible said, but willingly went out of God's presence with her. But what this did, it didn't change God. Amen. It made God come down in his condescension from thoughts to logos to theophany by which he created all things and become as flesh so he could take on the sins of man. Hallelujah. And this is why the Bible would say, great is the mystery of godliness for God was manifested in the flesh. And in Hebrews 2 and 9, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. So God took on flesh so he could pay for man's sins. The one without sin took on the dust of the earth and stepped down into flesh. For this, God would not borrow timbers from anyone. He used not the seed of man, nor the egg of a woman. He took a virgin girl who knew not a man. And overshadowed her with his glory, similar to what happened on Mount Transfiguration. And the Holy One that was conceived in her was of the Holy Ghost. He was not a Jew, and he wasn't a Gentile. He was not born of Adam's race. If he was, he would have been cursed to death and under sin's bondage with sin nature already in him. But he instead was a brand new species. Hallelujah. Amen. And from him would come a new race. And they would not be the sons of Adam. But they would be the sons of God. Which are born, listen to the scripture, which are born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Brother Branham would describe this and prove in his word. He said as God came down in this little cell, he began to develop cells and drew from his mother's vitamins. And then when he became old enough to eat for himself... He began to eat, and what was it? It was the dust of the earth, which you become as you come, uh, which you come up in plant life and animal life and so forth. He began to eat the fish, the bread, the silver, they began to develop cells. And then when it was fully matured at 30 years old, he was baptized in obedience to John down here, or to, or to God, rather, in the water and went out. And what happened? The dove, which was God descending from heaven, 
with a voice saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm pleased to dwell. See, what did He come to do? To redeem that part of the earth. And He was the beginning of the creation of God. Because God is not a creation only in Christ. He is a creation. Because God is eternal and a spirit and a spirit cannot be created. And he was the beginning of the creation of God. And God redeemed that body. And when he came down he said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Because he was coming to dwell in that vessel. In the future home, Brother Branham would explain it this way. That when he got out of the water, John said, I saw heavens open. And the prophet saw it and said, the heavens open. And here come descended out of heaven a form of a dove. And a voice saying, this is my part of the earth that I have redeemed. And from this part of the earth, I will redeem the rest of it. For he is my word made manifest. Hallelujah. Can you imagine what God did? Here the the ground was cursed for Adam's sake. Every man born of dust was cursed because of Adam. Come on somebody. Everything come under the curse of sin. But oh hallelujah. There was one that was conceived of the Holy Ghost. And there with that little blood sail on the inside. Began to gather dust around him. Can I say it to you? Cursed dirt. Earth that had been cursed and began to wrap around the sails and make the flesh of Jesus Christ. And oh, what a victory it must have been that day when Jesus, the obedient son, who didn't sell out like Adam, but the obedient son brought cursed earth. Down to the river Jordan to be baptized. Amen. And the Spirit of God came and filled it. And He says, From this one, I'm going to redeem all the rest of them. Hallelujah. From this one, from this one. I will redeem the rest of them. From this one, there's going to be seed that are born. There's going to be an offspring. Amen. He shall see his offspring. Isaiah said in 54, he will see him. Isaiah 53. Now, so again, what was it? It was there at the river Jordan. Jesus brings his own body. Under submission to the Father's will and word. And says, we must fulfill all righteousness. I'm here. My purpose is here to fulfill the word. And you got to realize that's your new birth. When you're born again, that's your real purpose for being here. Is to fulfill God's word that is written of you. So in Christ, God would reconcile God and man. Jesus would become the God-man. He would, he would be man so he could feel the pain, experience temptation, yet without sin. He would die, yet he would be God in that the Almighty would be resident in him. 
He would actually say, it isn't me that doeth the works. It's not the flesh profiteth nothing. But he said, it's, it's him, the father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the work. You know, this is a lot of trouble that people have today. They can't figure out who Jesus was praying to. Amen. Like, like, you know, that we got one, you know, Trinity wants to put everything, three beings, three persons equal in power and authority. And yet Jesus is one God praying to another God, one person praying to another. And when you pray to another, you're showing inferior and asking for help. When all three of you are supposed to be equal in power and equal. Come on. Amen. But, but, what, but, but what was it? Amen. It was that God had, had became flesh. And the flesh of Jesus was man. But within him dwelt the eternal God. Hallelujah. Amen. I, I, you know, I, I, as I looked into scripture today, you know, the Bible tells you that Jesus is a man. He would get hungry. Jesus as a man, he would age. Jesus as a man, is somebody with me? Jesus as a man would would get tired and weary. He'd get so exhausted from his healing campaigns and preaching till he'd fall asleep on a boat and a big storm rocking him around only just made him sleep like a baby until they finally woke him up. And yet the Bible said, he that watches over Israel neither slumbers or sleeps. Because he was as a man, but yet he was God. There at the river Jordan, he brought his flesh, that body of clay, and willingly obeyed the word of God to be baptized of John. And this man, this man, this man who didn't do like Adam did, who sold it out, this man brings his flesh right down to the river of Jordan to be baptized in obedience. As a lamb, surrendering himself to the Father's will. And the Holy Spirit is so pleased, he comes and abides with him and remains. Now, when Jesus was tempted with offers of power, with obeying the devil, with Satan offering him kingdoms, the Bible doesn't say he fell to any of these offers or to this temptation. And that the devil overtook him. This is what it says. When it's all done. When he's tried on all points. I want you to notice who leaves. Matthew 4.11. Then the devil leaveth him. Amen. And angels came and ministered to him. The devil left and angels ministered. The devil left and the angels ministered. That's the way that it must be in our hour of temptation. The devil leaves. The devil's defeated. Amen. The devil goes out like a scalded dog that stuck his finger into a hot voltage. Amen. Standing with all his hair frizzled out. Amen. The devil leaves. And angels minister. The devil leaves. And angels are welcome. What was God doing? God was bringing a cure for sin. Oh, I thought I would get a lot further than I am today. And I'm not stopping yet. 
But I'm probably going to have to stop on a point or two here in a few moments. But let me just say, God was bringing a cure for sin. Man found in our day, in our hour, you know, man was subject to a lot of things. You know, uh, Europeans for years and years and years lived under the scourge of smallpox. They brought it over to um, uh, America and the American Indians had never experienced white man diseases. So they had no antibodies built up in their blood from years of fighting it. And millions of them died. Absolutely. Man long, if we could just get something done. There was a man... There was a man that began to study and began to think. Actually, this man would become persecuted. He would actually be driven out of cities. Because people were scared of what he was doing. He would actually take a virus. A a, a type of a virus. And and he would inoculate children, his servant, his own self. He'd inoculate, uh, you know, and, and there would be, as science would progress, they would use horses and guinea pigs and monkeys and all kinds of animals to produce antibodies for disease. But man was under a worse disease than smallpox. Amen. Smallpox is a, is a killer. Smallpox is a deformer. Children that would get smallpox would be left marred for the rest of their life. Sometimes hideously marred in their face and their eyes and everything else. Sometimes blinded from the disease. But you see, there was a worse disease than smallpox. It was called sin disease. Amen. And, and so man tried everything that he could to find a cure for that disease. And David, you'd use all the remedies that the, that had been given. You know, the philanthropies, uh, the, the, the ribbons, the, 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 the things up on the frontlets before the eye, everything that he could imagine to, you know, to keep them. You know, people would do that under smallpox. They would wear certain magic stones or certain things and hope, you know, that this would keep the disease from them and their family. Only to get it. Man was in awful shape. You know, Israel wanted Messiah to save them from Rome. But they needed a greater Messiah. Than just a greater salvation than just saving from the tyranny of Rome. They needed a salvation from the tyranny of sin. And man was in a dire strait. But God had sent prophets down to the ages, worked his Holy Spirit, did miracles and signs and great things. But none of it produced a sin cure. But one day, God comes down himself and takes on the robe of humanity. And he didn't, or is somebody with me? Amen. He didn't just let death come and, and uh, you know, hit a horse 
or he had a guinea pig, but he went to the cross himself. And there in his flesh, he took the penalty of sin. And he let sin anchor its finger in him. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, that was an awful day for hell. Amen. Because it had victory over prophets. It had victory over the sages. It had victory over great men. But this day, sin lost its victory. Hallelujah. And Paul could scream out, Oh, death, where is thy sting? And oh, grave, where is thy victory? But thanks be to God. Thanks be to our Redeemer. He gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So God did not, listen, God did not allow somebody else for it to happen. He came down and took on sin himself. Hallelujah. Amen. And through his blood, he produced an antibody, a sin cure. Amen. And when the Holy Ghost came down upon Jesus at the day of his baptism, Jesus was inoculated. Hallelujah. And when the devil tried to give him all the world, the kingdoms of the world, what did he do? He stayed right straight with the word. Why? He was inoculated. Amen. The spirit of God didn't leave him in the hour of temptation. The seal held on, held him. When Satan tempted him with women, it held. When Satan tempted him with kingdom, the inoculation held. Amen. When Satan tempted him with compromise and with prestige, nothing worked. Everything the devil throwed at him, amen, nothing worked. Turned popular opinion against him, it didn't work. Turned the church against him and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it didn't work. He turned friends against him and his own people betrayed him and that didn't work. But the inoculation held whenever friend forsook him. Finally, they knew he was a prophet. And Romans, uh, the Roman soldiers put a ragger on his head, closed his eye, took a stick, beat him on the head with one hand, and then say, now if you're a prophet, tell us who hit you. We'll believe you. But the inoculation held. He wasn't clowning for the devil. He didn't mind the devil. He said, I only do what the Father shows me to do. Amen. It proved the inoculation held. The devil thought, well, I got him now. So he starts him up Calvary. Oh, that's a mistake. Amen. He falls right into the trap God laid for him. Amen. If I can just get death to sting him. This one ain't like any of the other. This is a virgin born son of God filled with the Holy Ghost. And when you stick in him, he's going to pull your stinger out of you. Amen. Because though you bruise him in the heel where he touches the earth, his foot will bruise the head of the serpent. He will bruise him. Hallelujah. But hallelujah in his bruising. It saved you. It saved me. It atoned for your sin. It atoned not for my sin. Hallelujah. Let's all stand together as we worship the Lord. Amen. The devil say, well, I got him now. I got him now. I got him now. 
Oh, he started at Calvary. Blood streaming out of his body. A garment wrapped around him. One big splash of blood. The devil saying, ah, I've got him. That can't be God. No, that can't be God. He's like any other man. He's weak like any other man. Look at him. He's screaming for water. He's like any other man. He's dying like any other man. His blood's like any other man. He's powerless as any other man. Oh, come down off that cross and we'll believe you. See, he has no power. He's powerless. Amen. He let soldiers spit him in the face. He jerk handfuls of beard out of his face. He let him challenge him to, to, to see a vision and he wouldn't do it. Amen. Oh, he knew what he could do. He knew what he could do. He said, I could call. I could call for 10,000 angels. I could call for legions of angels. And they'd take me off of this cross. But I'm here to do the Father's will. Amen. Because in my death is where I'm going to redeem my bride. This is what Adam knew. This is what Adam knew. When his wife had sinned, he took her quickly to himself. Amen. Because he knew that in that that as he went with his wife, the Redeemer would come. And here's what redemption was coming. He would let them chuck handfuls. Let them challenge. Goes up the hill packing the cross. I'll have him in a few minutes. Amen. Men goes over and slaps him in the face. Jerk handfuls of beard out. Hot down spitting with drunken spitting. Spitting in his face. And he said, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. He'd be riled on and riled back. What was it happen? God was proving the inoculation. He was making a way for you and I. And giving you an example that as I overcome, so will you overcome by the spirits indwelling in you. Are you with me? Amen. There, the inoculation held on Jesus. It held at the cross. Billy, Billy Sunday said, every tree was set in full of angels. Said, if you, you know, you know, you, you, you know, you don't have to come off that cross. You just point your finger and, and we'll change that situation. And he could have done it. Amen. But he said, I do always that which pleases the Father. And the inoculation held. No matter what happened, the inoculation held. He was called Belzebub, the devil, the fortune teller. Whatever it was, every kind of blasphemy that could be said against him. But the inoculation held. Amen. They watched him and they, they watched see him. He would scream and take it back at the cross. Surely. Surely he'll give up at the cross. Surely, surely, surely he'll scream and give, give up. But the inoculation held. Amen. I'll tell you, it held in the hour of death. When he was in the grave three days and three nights, the inoculation held. On Easter morning, an angel rolled away the stone and the Son of God arose again ascended on high. And you know what he said? If all of you want to get inoculated, then get up there to the city of Jerusalem because I'm fixing to pour out the vaccine from on high. 
Hallelujah. I'm going to send the serum right from headquarters. Right back there on 120. And now there's not going to be one Jesus. There's going to be 120 of them that the devil don't know what to do with. That's got an inoculation. That sin can never get a hold of their lives. Are you with me? Oh, hallelujah. I remember when I got my smallpox shot. Oh, yeah, I remember. I was a little boy about five years old. Had to have my smallpox shot before I went to school. Man, I cried. I screamed. I had a reaction. It even left a mark on my shoulder that you can see to this day. But I never, ever, ever got the terrible disease of smallpox. Why? Because I'm inoculated. Hallelujah. There on the day of Pentecost, there were 120 men and women that were sealed with the Holy Ghost. They screamed, they shouted, they reacted, amen, and they got marked and sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. And they come out of there reacting because it was a baptism of fire. It burned out sin. It burned out evil desires. It burned out wickedness. It made them the sons and daughters of God. It filled men and women with deity. Hallelujah. And it took lying, cursing Peters and made them men and women with boldness who proclaimed the word of God. And it settled the sin question forever. Hallelujah. People say they got the Holy Ghost today and has no keeping power. Because it got a form of godlessness and deny the power thereof. There's a power in this inoculation. Amen. Those who commit adultery and, and, and do all the works of the flesh that the Bible describes is because they're not in the kingdom of God. This is the Bible. When you come in the kingdom, when you come in this land, amen, there's a new king. There's a new ruler. There's a, amen, there's a new king on the throne and under his dominion. We reign as kings and priests. Hallelujah. Under this, under this dominion. Are you with me? Amen. Oh, yeah, we reign as kings and priests. Are you reigning this morning? Amen. Let me just share with you a quote as we're closing. Who is this Melchizedek? But when this body receives the Spirit of God, the immortal life inside of you, it throws this body in subjection to God. Hallelujah. He that born of God doth not commit sin. He cannot sin. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. They walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. See, that throws your body subject. And you don't have to say, oh, if I could just quit drinking. Just get in Christ. It's all gone. Because your body is subject to the spirit. It's no more subject to the things of the world. They're dead. Amen. They're dead. Your sins are buried in baptism. You have a new, new creation in Christ. And your body becomes subject to the spirit. Try to live a right kind of life. Oh my. Like you women claiming you got the Holy Ghost. Going out here and wearing shorts and things. How could you do it? How could the spirit of God let you do such a thing? It can't be so. He's not a filthy spirit. He's a holy spirit. 
said, Brother Tim, why do you say that? Because the Bible said if a man looks upon a woman to lust after in his heart, he's committed adultery with her already in his heart. Are you with me? Amen. And then you go out and parade yourself like that. You're part of his adultery. But when you become subject to that Holy Spirit, it throws your whole being subject to that Spirit. And that Spirit is nothing in the world but the seed word made manifest or quickened. Hallelujah made alive. And when the body says, don't do this, the body quickly comes in obedience to what the Spirit says. Hallelujah. I'm so glad I can say I'm one of them. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Oh, what a redeemer. Oh, what a redeemer. Oh, what a savior. Oh, hallelujah. He became my sin that I might become him by his grace. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads together. While we have our head bowed just for a moment. While we talk it over with him just a moment. Has that Holy Ghost fire come burned down in your life? And burned out sin nature? (laughs) Are you trying to... Have two kings on your throne at the same time? What's the deal? Have you made that full surrender to God? Oh, Brother Tim, the unclean spirit went out and I've cleaned up my life. But is there... Come another spirit, the Holy Spirit, to come in your life. The keeper, the comforter that abides. Not a spirit that comes and goes. Not you get anointed and pray for the sick and then, but oh, the spirit abides. In your hour of temptation, who's winning? You vow, I'll I'll not look at that again. I'll not do, oh, that, I feel so horrible about it. I, I won't never do that no more. And you find out your resolve only goes so far. That your power runs out. Don't you want that inoculation from sin? Don't you want that cleansing power of the blood? Don't you want that Holy Spirit to come and abide with you forever? Oh, so well, I'm a preacher and I'm a priest and I got anointed. That's that's all wonderful. I thank God for his anointing, but does, does he abide? Today, the Christian world puts up men 
men, preachers that have fallen in adultery and every kind of sin. They just keep right on. Keep right on. Singing and preaching and whatever else. And you know, there was nothing there to hold them in the hour of temptation. They didn't want to remain pastors and stay in positions. Knowing they're disqualified by the word of God. They coveted somebody else's wife. And why was it? They didn't get inoculated. Oh, but I want to tell you. It might be like that smallpox shot that branded me forever. When this Holy Ghost comes on you, it'll brand you, it'll claim you. It won't be you just claiming it, it'll claim you. It'll take up residence in your mortal body. And it'll produce a vaccination from sin. Don't you want that today? Don't you want that? I mean, hands would go up and say, Lord, I I need that kind of inoculation in my life. I need that Holy Spirit. I want it. I want it in such a way, Lord. I want it when that inoculation comes. And when temptation comes, that inoculation holds. Brother Branham would talk about this very subject. And then knoweth it not. And he says, you know, take a young man. He's a preacher, handsome. See, you know, he's preached. Perhaps he's preached under the anointing, maybe. Oh, he's a great, great man, maybe among the people. Handsome dude. Some little girl walks out, dressed in a certain way. Even though that he knows better. There's, he'll move around all of those words of God and find himself going out trying to make a date. He said, because there's no hold post, no tie post there. He said, I remember when I got in that straight. said, my little wife and my daughter was my wife had died. My little daughter was dying. And I began to pray. And God, don't, don't take little Sherry. Don't take her. And he said, it looked like a black sheet got pulled down between me and God. And he said, God, how could you be so hard-hearted? This is my baby. And you're going to let her life be taken like this? She's in such pain. God, won't you have mercy? And said, the devil comes right up and begins to whisper in his ear. Oh, you know, those healings that you've talked about, you know, they're just people imagined it. Oh, those things that you said, God, you said he's a good God and you want him to heal your little girl. He began to go down along the line of everything he said. And everything he said was true. He said, I got right down to that point. Where I said, okay, God, if you're going to be this way, I quit. I ain't going to serve you. And he said, right at that moment, the tie post took a hold and said, who are you anyway, William Branham? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
He's the one who gave this life. It wasn't yours to begin with. And he said, in that moment, the tie post held. Don't you want it to be that way in your life? In that moment, in your hour, the tie post holds. Something keeps holding you. Father, I pray that you'll just deal with the hearts of men and women today. We spoke this sermon, Lord, about your indwelling spirit. It's not a negative sermon. It's so positive. You've come to dwell in us. Lord, oh God, don't let them take it as a negative thing. Let them take it a positive. That there's a land. There's a place. There's a place I can come into a rest in the Holy Ghost. Where that rest from my labors as God did from His. Where I no longer labor against sin. I'm not under sin's dominion. But I have power over the rulers of darkness. I pray, Lord, that every man and woman, boy and girl, will line up and come and get this inoculation. Lord, that they'll receive that power from on high this day as you're still pouring out your Spirit on all flesh. Granted, I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord, if we see any lack in our lives, as we said, make our call and election sure. Lord, as we sanctify our lives and cleanse us, Let us be filled with your Holy Spirit so we'll never fall. That you'll keep us in the hour of our trials. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your promise. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. We're so thankful for it. Amen. Sing it, Michael. Sing this one. Not just blood. Not just blood. Oh no, not this blood. But his blood was precious blood. Oh, what did it do? He washed the sins of man. In his blood. His blood. It heals my body. Heals my body. And it sets Set my, my spirit free. I'm so glad His precious blood was flows from Calvary.